This is the I Will Teach You a Language podcast, episode 123. Welcome to the I Will Teach You a Language podcast. Weekly motivation and language learning tips to help you become fluent in any language. Now, here's your host, Ollie Richards. Good morning, everybody. Welcome back to the podcast and what an episode we've got for you today. I've been challenged by Kevin in Japan. And Kevin's on a mission to change the world. And we are going to do that with him. We are going to change the world with Kevin from Tuba. <laughs> But more on that in just a minute.、Uh, a couple of notices for you. First of all,、um, the Fluent Spanish Academy. A number of you guys have been asking about this. This is a, a project I started recently that is helping people move from intermediate level Spanish to fluency. So、uh, this is, well, it's really for you if you've kind of been learning Spanish for a while, but you're struggling to get to the next. Level. We started a, a beta launch recently, which you might remember, and we filled up all the spaces. So、um, the enrollment for that is now closed. But if you'd like to get on the notification list, so when places become available, probably、um, I'll open it up for more places in a couple of months' time.、Um, to find out when that happens, please go to fluentspanishacademy.com and you'll be able to enter your email and get on the notification list. There. All right, I'd like to thank the sponsors of the show,、um, who Kevin actually mentions today in his question. And iTalki is their name. And、um, if you've been listening for a while, you'll know them very well. They are part of the future, I think, as we will get into, I'm sure. And、um, if you would like to get a free lesson with a native speaker teacher, then what you need to do is to go over to iwillteachyourlanguage.com forward slash free lesson. Now it's time. Let's hear from Kevin and just what he's on about. Yeah, hi Ollie, it's Kevin from Chiba Japan here. Of course, I'm learning Japanese and I love learning Japanese. So,、um, but I didn't start learning languages until I was about 43, 44 years old. And the reason、um, I didn't start until such a late、uh, point in my life was school put me off learning languages, as I'm sure many of my.、Uh, Old schoolmates will tell me, oh, languages aren't for me, etc., etc., because they had exactly the same experience. And I kind of conclude that school puts people off learning languages and it's doing much more harm than helping anybody. Why can't we change the world? How do we change the world? What、uh, can we do about this? Because it's, it's ridiculous, isn't it? That there are things like I talk to you. Um, where now we don't need to just employ a teacher of one particular language. Why can't we employ、uh, a teacher to help students learn any language、um, and use things like iTalkai to change the way languages are taught in schools? This is my mission in life. I want to change the world. How do we do it? Okay, Kevin, thank you so much for your question. And、uh, yeah, a really easy one for us today. So it should, be, should have that wrapped up in a couple of minutes, changing the world, you know, no, no big deal. But anyway,、um, of course, like making sure that kids learn languages is a big deal. And so I wanted to get、uh, someone on the show, a special guest here, to help me think through this big topic. And so I'm very, very pleased to introduce Lindsay from Lindsay Does Languages, who's going to help me out with this one. How's it going, Lindsay? Hello, I'm good, thank you. How are you? Yeah, I'm fantastic and very keen to,、um, to have you on the show today, partly because you haven't been on before and I've been meaning to have you on as a guest for ages, but、um, also because I know that this topic is close to your heart.、Um, so, why don't you just take a second and introduce yourself to everybody out there? Absolutely. So, as you said, Lindsay from Lindsay Does Languages. And、uh, yeah, this is 
really close to my heart because now I blog, make videos, teach and learn everything language at lindydoeslanguages.com. But before that, I actually worked in a secondary school, primarily in the language department. And uh, I also started learning French in primary school, which not everyone had the chance to do back in the day when I was that old <laughs> or that yeah. young. <laughs> yeah, I started languages. Well, I did, I did French at secondary schools. That's 11 for me. Mm. Or was it even 13? I can't even remember. They made that much of an impression on me. <laughs> yeah. Um, so I've never worked in schools in the UK, but I did teach in school in, um, in Chugako, in, in um, secondary, what do they call it? The junior high school in Japan for a couple of years. So I've got this very different perspective from Japan. So hopefully between us, we should be able to, um, you know, give a, a bit of a variety of perspectives on here. So where do we start? We, we've got to change the world in about 15 minutes. So what do, where do we even begin? It's pretty huge. I mean, I guess if we're changing the world in terms of children learning languages, <laughs> maybe we'll focus in on, on that slightly. Um, it's a difficult one because I think um, part of the problem, um, as we discussed just before going on to the, to the podcast, is that now, you know, and I'm talking from the UK experience here, Children start at different ages. You know, it's compulsory now within primary schools within the last couple of years for children to learn any language. And that's amazing. But the problem then still comes when children then go to secondary school and they're 11 years old and they start learning their first foreign language properly, quote unquote. And they're 11, but they're then being taught like four-year-olds, you know, blue, red, cat, dog. And that's not what 11-year-olds want. That's not what they care about. And then this kind of hate, and this this lack of reason just grows and grows and grows yeah. from there, I think. I wonder if that's what, what Kevin was referring to. Because the thing that really stuck out for me from Kevin's question was school put me off languages. And he said that all of his friends mm. as well felt the same thing. So I guess like there's a few different elements here that we need to address. And I mean, there is the this thing of, I guess, the age that you begin... And there's a huge debate about whether that actually makes a difference. And there are many studies that totally contradict each other in terms of the age that you start learning a language and the effectiveness of that. And so we've got to talk about the age. We've got to talk about um, the like how to teach kids at different ages, right? There was the method, the teaching methodology, and um, and really, I guess what makes kids want to learn in the first place? I mean, what, one thing I said to you just before we started here was like, if, you know, let's say that we had a shortage of scientists in the world, the government would start to push maths and physics, right? And it would say to kids, hey, you could be a, an, a, a scientist, you could uh, cure cancer, or, or um, you could work out, what's out there in the universe or something like that. How cool would that be? And they could find ways to motivate people. And I think they actually do that, don't they? Sometimes with the big professions. So what do you think, to start off, what do you think we could do to actually give kids that reason to want to learn a language in the first place? That's really interesting you say about like the professions kind of going later on in life and, and sort of directing the kids towards, look what you could do with this. Whereas with languages, if you say to a kid, what do you want to be when you grow up? And if they say astronaut, then you can say, hey, 
do physics, you know, do science, then you can be an astronaut, you know, it's, even though it's probably a long way off for, <laughs> for many kids and it might not actually happen, but it gives them that ambition. Whereas with languages, how many four-year-olds or eight-year-olds even, you know, do you know that you go, oh, what do you want to do when you're older? I want to be a translator. I want to be a language teacher. And they are the two main kind of go-to professions. And there's nothing wrong with teaching languages or being a translator. But when you look at like, uh, even a university prospectus, even when it's kind of that high up, generally the, the kind of list of where can you go from here, it's written as a very short list and it doesn't look very exciting on and paper. More, yeah, more often than not, um, yeah. certainly when I've looked at this before, like if you look at um, even something like kind of Cambridge University language programme, they kind of pitch that as a way to get into other careers like banking or, or law or something like that because they, they kind of seem to recognise that learning languages gives you a very... Um, strong uh, intellect, if you like, very, very makes you very adaptive, very creative. But it's yeah, like you say, it doesn't actually. There's no such thing as a career in languages as such. Mm. Um, so, so yeah, I mean, I, I've always thought that. Well, obviously, we like we know how important motivation is to even to adult learners, right? And one of the the thing, one of the arguments that I've heard before that I think is very interesting is well. When you're looking at teaching kids, and let's just, let's say, let's take 11 year olds as the kind of benchmark here for when you start to teach kids languages at school. I, I see it as you've got kind of two main options. You can either say to them, right, here are all the cool things you can do with languages. Like if you want to learn Japanese, you can read manga, look how cool that is. Or if you want to learn Spanish, you can, I don't know what you can do with Spanish, learn to be a flamenco singer. I don't know what it is, but try and engage <laughs> kids' like imaginations and the things they really want to do. Exactly. And then use that as the way in and then use it as, uh, I guess, what you... Anyone familiar with, with CLIL methodology, content uh, language integrated learning, um, that you actually use the the thing that you want to be able to do as the vehicle for teaching the language, which mm. is a very kind of student-driven thing. Or the alternative is... To kind of go back to that old school approach of, of saying, okay, we're going to teach you the grammar and the vocabulary and the, and all this like old school teaching, grammar translation style. Because like, I think you could probably argue with some justification that that those old school methods of teaching are going to be the most effective for the most number of people. Even if like, you know, it doesn't inspire anybody or, or really get anyone excited. Um, I think if you start teaching kids at, that age at around that 11 year old you know they, they start to have study skills that they can apply to learning things like grammar so i think i, I sort of see it as you've got these two different um approaches to the whole language tuition thing um how, how, what do you think about that how does that sit with you i'd love to ask about what you taught in Japan in English? Were you just teaching English or were you teaching other subjects? Yeah, no, I was just teaching English and I, okay. was, uh, I was what you would call an assistant language teacher. Right. Although I had, a lot, I had more autonomy than other than, than most uh, ALTs as they're known because I, I was working in a special program. But um, yeah, so I was just teaching English. Okay, because you're saying that has brought to mind when I was 18, I went to Costa Rica and I taught English for a few months there. And I was thinking that I would just be teaching English, that I would go in and I would say, you know, like, like I had had cat, dog, blue, green, red, yellow, hello. 
and how are you? Yes, no, thank you. And actually, it was very different to the point of I was teaching these kids. I was having to draw like diagrams of genitalia because I was teaching them <laughs> science. It's like we'll put these in I the show was, notes, by the way, guys. Yeah, <laughs> I do have a, a copy somewhere, and um, you know, I was not expecting that, but it was so much more beneficial because those kids were amazing, you know. And of course, the, this is the one of the big differences as well is. I mean, I think from what I remember from listening to uh, to Kevin's question, he was British, right? That's right. Yeah, so he lives in Japan, us, but uh, he's from here. Right. Yeah. So three of us coming this coming at this from a kind of we've been educated in Britain. I I'm guessing. Um, whereas there, you know, the difference was they had English everywhere, as is the case in a lot of places. They had English music, English TV, film, all of that stuff. So that that reason was present. Whereas here, you know. It's very rare to hear a foreign language song on the radio. We might get a Scandinavian crime drama on BBC Four if we're lucky. And so there is no, there is no obvious kind of cultural reason around you to learn the language that you're learning in school. Now, what would be interesting is if rather than saying, okay, age 11, you go to year seven, secondary school, and you start learning French because that's how it's done. How about there was someone there who was not just a French teacher, but almost like a language coach. So they could go into that school and they would say, right, what, what interests you? What are you interested in? Oh, I love comics. Okay. Have you ever read a Japanese manga, for example? Oh, no, I haven't. Cool. Have a look. Take a look at this, you know, do some research. And you're kind of encouraging this autonomous language learning, which then sparks that reason why. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. In practice, I have no idea how that would work. So (laughs) (laughs) I think, you know, it sounds like an amazing idea and it sounds like we're going to change the world. But in practice, I don't know. Um, But yeah, I just feel like it's the, the general thing of this is the language you learn. And then that puts everyone off or, you know, 90% of students off. Yeah. And and schools. 6,000 plus in the world. Yeah. Schools in the UK, I know, have languages that they teach like quote unquote mm-hmm. like so one school would teach spanish and another school another school would teach french that's they ha- most schools have those fixed languages and that does kind of fly in the face of what we're saying it doesn't it because you have to then what you'd have to do is take that language let's say spanish and you'd have to then really try to get make that language relevant to all the kids in the school whereas in someone like london where you've got a lot of a lot of schools with kind of um with a with a minority of native english speakers so you have people from all over the world you know how do you make that relevant to people to, to the students it's a really difficult question but I, I think like i would certainly agree that 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 find giving people the reason to learn the language is always going to be the the key because if you can motivate them if you can motivate kids and show them show them why then it's you've got you've done so much of the work haven't you because you, you you can then empower them to say oh i love that that TV series. Now I'm going to go off and learn the language, and I think that happens to a lot of people when they're younger, learning English. They 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 see TV series like Friends, don't they? And uh, yeah, and they say, oh, I really want to understand what Joey's saying, and they go off and watch years and years of Friends and end up kind of learning it like that. I've never seen that happen really here, other than perhaps the occasional person that gets hooked on Korean drama or mm. Japanese manga or something like that. Weirdly, I guess it kind of happened to me because um, the reason I speak Spanish is that when I got to GCSE, I'd done French all the way through and we had no other choice but French. 
the year I started GCSE, uh, they brought a Spanish teacher into the school. And so they started offering Spanish at GCSE. I thought, oh, Spanish, because Shakira had just become a thing. I bought uh-huh. her album with some Spanish songs on it. I had this tiny Spanish dictionary that I'd asked for for my birthday. And I thought, well, I'm learning French at school. Surely another language can't be difficult. I know what I'm doing now. And that's literally how this whole thing for, for me started. So it, it can happen, but it's it's so much rarer. I mean, you know, it's not like there's a new kind of Shakira every year is there to inspire a new <laughs> generation with a different language each time. Yeah, and um, I guess the question is, like, even if... I mean, that's an, I mean, I never had that kind of epiphany moment when I was when I was that age. And I guess the question is, like, if you're going to change the world, you have to look at, well, how can you kind of make that happen for the wider population, right? How do you make sure that... How can you get that epiphany moment for every kid in every school around the world like and show them that reason and that's i mean maybe this is just asking too much maybe we're like this we're setting the sights so high that there's no realistic chance of um of being successful it's a kind of a pessimistic thing to say isn't it but no i i, I agree because i think the other thing is just like i have no interest really in um science Right. Like I can appreciate science. I get why it's important, but I have no interest in kind of reading more about science or learning about science. So why should everyone have an interest in learning another language? You know, you can't force it upon everyone. And if, you know, not everyone is all, is going to find that reason. So it, it's, it's difficult because it should be, I believe, compulsory in school, but. That to then to then give everyone a reason to to find a reason for every student in that class isn't yeah, going yeah, to not, happen. You're never you're never yeah. going to inspire everyone. I mean, one of the very one of the very practical impediments that I I find like kind of communicating with teachers around the world um, is you know I often I often and you I'm sure you get the same thing like I often have emails from teachers and from from school teachers um, in different countries saying hey um, Ollie I really like the the language learning stuff that you talk about how can i integrate it into my classes at school and you know when i was in japan and trying to teach there i would be i faced this exact same problem because i thought well okay i've got this approach to learning languages and it's based on things like um you know motivation and self-directed learning and stuff like that so the um the teacher that i would that i would teach within these schools because it was all team teaching you know i'd i'd say to them okay let's do this and that and their response would always be, oh, that sounds amazing, but we've got yes. this crazy syllabus that we have to cover and they've got an exam next month. Yes. And so all around the world, ministries of education are imposing these huge um, syllabuses on schools, which leaves teachers so little flexibility that they're forced to, they've only got a tiny amount of maneuvering room, room to maneuver rather, in their in their teaching timetables. And so they can, they, there's only so much they can do. They can kind of bring in things for, for five minutes to try and get their, their kids enthused about learning English, for example. But then they've got to go back and teach to the test because they've got an important exam next week, which affects their university entrance and all that stuff. Mm. That's a huge problem. And I think one of the things that, which is, you know, not easy for someone like me, you or Kevin to, to influence is to actually, begin to influence ministries of education like, and, I, and I, I think that comes from academics it comes from people in universities in a position of influence because often ministries of education have they choose their consultants from universities 
Um, and so I think it, there's a lot of um, onus here on, on, on university professors and researchers to demonstrate or at least raise the possibility to ministries of education that there is a different way of doing things. And that is happening in certain parts of the world where they, where they introduce these GLIL programs. Um, I know the British Council in Spain has an arrangement with some uh, primary schools where they teach the entire or uh, the majority of the curriculum in English. And you see these videos of these kind of eight-year-old Spanish kids chatting away in English at a level you wouldn't believe. And it's because they do their science and maths lessons um, in English. So it's um, there's, a, there's, a, there's a systemic problem as well, which means that whatever you approach you try and take to this, um, you're, you're only going to get so far, you know? Absolutely, because the other thing that's instantly coming to mind then is you then have to find someone that can teach science and maths or whatever it might be in French or in Spanish or in German, you know. And a lot of the time in schools when you've got language teachers, maybe they did a degree with language plus another thing or maybe they just did languages, you know. Yeah. So it's difficult. It's it's the staffing problem and, and every – and I found, like you said, with the, um, the kind of teachers and very little room for manoeuvre, I've talked a couple of times um, to, to groups of teachers about social media and apps in language classrooms. And, you know, you say all these things and, for, you know, it's great, me from the outside coming in and suggesting, look, you could try this and you could use this. And they're already on Snapchat, so encourage them to use that for their languages and stuff. But then they'll say, oh safeguarding or syllabus yeah yeah absolutely and so there's there's so many obstacles and it's it's not necessarily the the teachers um that are putting these obstacles up themselves it's just that they they exist already and they're not in a position to knock them down because it's not their place to do so and that's a shame but i i don't know i think i think that the, the best that that we can do and that any kind of any any teacher can do is to really try and inspire the subject you know this is a teacher of any subject to really try and inspire a spark for that subject within a student rather than just to you know open textbook at page nine read copy repeat yeah I mean, I guess it comes back to teaching fundamentals, doesn't it? And those Mm. there's always those great teachers who just know how to inspire and once you inspire kids to do stuff you are, you know, you've done, you've done, you've broken the back of the whole, the whole thing, right? You've, you've done the hard piece of, of work. And, and so like my immediate reaction always for this is, well, look, within the realms of possibility, like what you need to, like your first job should be to inspire. I think the first job of any teacher should be to make the job of the teacher redundant in the first place. Like empower the students so much yeah. that they no longer need the teacher, right? Yeah. And so in that respect, like if you can, um, I don't know, Kevin, if, if he's teaching in schools in Japan, but like, I think for me, like the extent to which you can get your kids hooked on British TV shows or books or radio or whatever it may be, like that's the point at which you can get them to start learning more by themselves, you know. And then you're just kind of guiding them in the right direction. And, you know, they come to class, hey, what have you done? Cool. Have you, how do you know what that means in that sentence? And, you yeah. know, then you, then you're just kind of, shoveling them along so to speak and i guess you've got you've got a lot more scope to do this as a as a kind of um independent language tutor or or whatever than a school teacher i think school teachers are horribly restricted let's talk about methodology though because Mm. okay this is something that that comes to mind for me i remember my french lessons at school and but that was like that was uh, early 90s and so it's over 20 years ago 
Mm. Um, and, well, kind of 20 years ago. Um, and I have not been inside a school in the UK since then. So I was wondering, and obviously Kevin, you know, he says he started learning languages in his mid-40s, I think he said. So, like, are we out of touch, do you think? Um, you you might be in a better position mm. to, to, you know, if you've been in schools more recently, you might be in a better position to say, but I wonder, like, when you think back to our school days, right, and, and like Kevin says, like, school put us off languages, right? But have things changed? Are we out of touch? I don't know if things have changed since the early 90s because I was in nappies. So, <laughs> um, but I mean, the last time, like when I worked in the school was 2012. So fairly recently. Fairly recently, yeah. Yeah. I mean, it didn't seem much different to when I was studying language in, se- in secondary school. But I know working with a few students now on GCSEs, so the exams you take at age 14 to 16, um, again, not much has changed and it's it's like there's 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 a vocabulary list that is you know this is the vocabulary list that they're expected to know and the exams are quite rigid and I've been working recently you know exam season now here in June and July and I've been working quite recently with my student and in Spanish kind of doing mock exams and some of the things where it says on the test you know on the on the mark paper accept this answer but don't accept this answer I feel like some of some of the time I'm thinking, hmm, I don't know, that seems a bit harsh. And I guess, you know, they they say every year don't they, when the exam results come out, oh, kids are getting stupider or exams are getting harder. And it's one or the other, it's just that there's a quota, pure and simple. There's, there's a number that says we have to have this number of students have an A grade and this number to have a B grade. And that then makes things very rigid if you take that back to the classroom then yeah i suppose like you know if, if there was a an, an expert in um government or or like statewide testing and curriculum design listening to this they would they probably be listening to us yeah. like, you guys just have no I idea know, about right? the about <laughs> what it takes to actually administer yeah. this kind of thing and i'm sure it's incredibly well i know it's incredibly tough like assessment is the most difficult problematic area of language teaching and but it's so important because it affects everything right the the test is the is the teaching because you got to kids have got to pass the test right how could you like describe what a typical lesson might look like in 2012 when you were in there like, what what kind of things would be going on um in a language classroom mm. <laughs> normally a little bit of kind of presentation like powerpoint presentation style with an interactive board so maybe some kind of game like knots and crosses or matching pairs, that sort of thing. This is kind of year eight, so we're talking age 13, more or less. And then there'd be some textbook work. There'd maybe be some talk to your partner work. There'd maybe be um, kind of building some sentences. Nothing had really changed dramatically other than the introduction of the interactive whiteboard, which before would have just been kind of card flashcards or, you know, let's play knots and crosses and stick the flashcards to the board. So we did the same things just without the technology. Mm, and what was the balance yeah. of, what would you say was the balance of speaking versus other skills? <sighs> I would say most of the time, because you've got 30 kids in a room, if mm. you're doing a, a class activity, then how much realistically can each of those kids speak in a lesson? They're probably going to say one sentence, like you know, "juju," or "foot." Boom, that's it for the hour. 
Yeah, and I guess then if you if you I mean I, I used to teach these classes of forty kids in Japan and we Whoa. used to we used to pair them up and do pair speaking and the task of monitoring that many kids is just so hard that it's that that it just becomes yeah, it definitely you you risk you risk wasting everybody's time in the pursuit of a idealistic goal of everybody speaking, right? Absolutely. But, okay, so the, I guess the last thing I wanted to mention was something that I heard Steve Kaufman mention once in a video, which has stuck with me ever since. Which is which is this, and I don't know whether he's he still feels the same thing or whether his views have changed since then. But his basic point was, look, a thirteen or fourteen year old. Okay, so backtracking a bit the sort of standard accepted teaching methodology now in 2016 is the communicative approach right or the communicative method you get people speaking and you mm. learn through situational based speaking like that's the the, the base the sort of go-to methodology for the language teach language education world and that from what i've seen is certainly in the west is what tends to be applied in school you get this kind of um you know at the train station and the doctor's type yep. parroting going on. <laughs> um, and Steve's argument was, well, look, for a 13 or 14-year-old kid, or even younger, 11, 12-year-old kid, even if they've fallen in love with Japanese manga, they've got no authentic reason to want to speak the language. They don't have any Japanese friends. They don't have any... Um, they're not going on holiday to Japan, probably. None of their family members are Japanese. They have no authentic, real-life reason to speak the language. And so, is it not, therefore, a bit... Is it not, therefore, wrong or unhelpful to get them up and being and speaking all the time? Isn't that artificial? Mm. And, and so then his, and his sort of continuation of that was, you know, if you, if you accept that argument that it's, that it's an artificial thing for kids of that age... Then, is, then surely it's a more productive use of time to say, all right, in these, in these school years, we're not going to do any speaking. What we're going to do is a lot of reading. We're going to read stuff that you like. If you like football, we're going to read about football in Japanese. We're going to learn the, the, the Chinese characters for football. And because that, because the classroom is, a, is an environment that's very conducive to that kind of study. And so, all right, there's no speaking. Tough. But, Aren't you going to be much more productive and get much more stuff done by taking a more um, academic approach to the language? Because the kids are going to be able to relate to that much better. They're probably at home reading comic books or um, surfing the net or something. That's what they like to do. So I thought that was a very, very powerful um, idea that maybe we shouldn't be getting kids to speak at that age. Because if, if you think, like, if that's the approach you take, it's kind of academic approach, or not even academic, but more based on reading... Mm. and perhaps listening using materials and um, themes and topics that they're interested in if they spend five years doing that and it's effective then when they actually want to come to speak when they're 18 21 25 whatever they're going to have such a great foundation that it's going to you know you've done so much of the work already does that make sense yeah absolutely so it's the, the the production of the language is a lot less forced and more a case of when you're ready because the interest would still be there because everything you've done to that point had been interesting for you right because it had been based on your interests and it was reading and it was absorption rather than production you know when i was 11 12 i was socially really awkward i, mean, I, I couldn't the thought of getting up in front of someone and speaking Absolutely. Was, was terrified so like the idea of doing that in forcing class, kids to do that in a class i mean what what how is that productive you know yeah i agree and i've always felt very awkward about that as a teacher when I've been in front of a group of, of students whether they're adults or children 
and to kind of say, right, you speak. I've never been a fan of that in, in terms of teaching. But I mean, I'm thinking about, you said about the conversation, you know, at the train station or getting a ticket and things. And, you know, when I was young, I was lucky enough that I learned French and had the chance to go to France, you know, geographically being a lot closer than a child learning Japanese, for example, in England or in America. And, you know, I remember specifically like going into the into the bakery and asking for the baguette in French and saying please and saying thank you and having those little early dialogues the and I think realistically I probably still could have done that without school you know my parents could have told me how to say it and I would have repeated you know so it's not therefore necessary to do that within school perhaps that's it's an interesting idea it's food for thought isn't it at the very Absolutely. least i mean i can definitely see how in that situation i mean I, that probably happened to me as well actually family holiday in france and i probably did use um like some my parents probably encouraged me to use bits of like you know phrase book language here and there so you know perhaps you could make the argument that well you know that's empowering because then you get the the chance to use it and then once you use it you feel you catch the bug, so to speak. But then I, mm. I guess the question of, well, how many kids actually get the chance to go to France on a family Absolutely. holiday? And you kind of run into problems there, don't you? Yeah. Wow. Okay. Well, I don't know. Have we changed the world? <sighs> I feel like I we hope, have. I hope so. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Kevin can be the judge. Well, everyone out there can be, can be <laughs> the judge. Oh, that's been interesting. Um, maybe we could just uh, finish by just maybe giving you like a short summary of like someone like Kevin's position, you know, so he's not the minister of education for Japan yet at least, but he is a guy who's passionate about languages and probably comes into contact with people that he can influence. What would you say is the thing that he can best do to make a difference to the, the lives of the, of the children that he interacts with in Japan? Ooh, tough question. I'm putting you on the spot here. Yeah. Tough question. I would say, you know, if if you're following, you know, if you're having to follow that syllabus to pass those exams, do that as best you can. But do try to include something fun and enjoyable to inspire that reason to, you know, to give people that why when it comes to language learning. As much as, you know, as, as much time as you have that you can dedicate to to showing them clips of people on the Internet or reading or listening to songs, you know, whatever it is, five minutes at the end of a lesson as as much as you can get in just just try your best to uh to inspire it yeah i think that's fantastic advice um well what i add to that i think i'd just say much the same really i think a little a small amount even a few minutes of personal attention to kids maybe it's just one kid each class or something but asking them you know hey what do you like and then taking a second to go away and say hey go and check this out you know you mm. said you like you like uh dancing Okay, well, you know, there's a, this, this is great um, American dance group over here, and you can. This is what they're called. You can check them out on YouTube. I don't know, silly example, but like just taking that second to give that that personal touch and try and inspire these kids one at a time, and you know, you, you're giving, you're creating the the opportunity for those little epiphany moments to to happen, and then yeah, beyond that, just like what you said, Lindsay, just giving them that reason, showing them. In as, in as much kind of bright color and like multimedia as possible, like what is out there in the language that they're that they're having to learn, to, absolutely. In the hope of trying to get that inspiration. All right, well, that was fantastic. Um, I learned a lot from that, and lots of stuff to think about. 
Um, why don't you? Well, where can people find you? Where, if people are listening in, they'd like to find more out, out, find more out, find out more about Lindsay. Where should they go? The easiest place is to head straight to lindsaydoeslanguages.com and it's Lindsay L I N D S A Y. Fantastic. I'll put a link to this in the show notes as well, which will be at IWillTeachYouAlanguage.com forward slash episode one two three. Nice and easy there. That's so, good. guys, yeah, perfect. One, two, three. Good one to talk about education. <laughs> well, it's a sign. I think we've made a difference. Yeah, absolutely. So, for everyone listening, what I want you to do now is to go over to those show notes. So, I will teach you language.com forward slash episode one, two, three. And I want you to leave a comment and tell us your thoughts on this. Okay. Everybody listening has, a, has an opinion. We've all been to school. We've all studied languages, probably. Otherwise, I don't know why you're listening to this podcast. So, go over to the show notes and I want you to let us know what you think. Um, do you agree? Do you disagree? What would you do to change the world to help kids become more inspired with foreign languages? Lindsay, thanks so much for, for coming on the show. Thank you. Thank you, everybody, for listening, and we'll see you in the next episode of the podcast.